재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Yes, the rock scholar is in the house. The Republic of Korea scholar has all of the reasons and rationale behind things that we all kind of know on a superficial level, but he drills down in the nerdiest of ways. He's known (laughs) in some circles as the Korea nerd. And he's also the voice of our Saturday segment, if you listen on the weekends, the expat intel segment. He's Alex Sigrist, and he's right next to me in the studio. Hey, Alex. Kurt, it's good to be here today. Yeah, it's great to have you. So we just recently had this election. It was a bit of a shakeup, a bit of an upset for the people in charge. And uh, you're going to break down some of the implications for us. Yeah, I think what's happening in this in Korean politics right now, and really honestly in politics all around the world, is this incredible shakeup that's going on. Like mm. for me personally, mm. I am watching elections around the world closer than I'm watching actual dramas about elections. Now I'm a big fan of the TV dramas, but this is like. It's really exciting times to be following politics nowadays. To be a politics nerd. To be a politics nerd. People <laughs> and, are anti-establishment yeah. around the world, aren't they? That's exactly what it is. A lot of these, you know, when these Panama Papers start popping up and people are realizing that there's corruption at all levels, um, mm-hmm. of course, the, person, the, the group of people that you go to is who's at the top, even if they're not necessarily completely to blame. So there's a lot of just anti-main ruling party sentiment going up all around the world. Yeah. This sense that there is a fixed class up at the top kind of rigging the system, uh, that's playing out in a lot of different circles. So yeah. what, how, how do we narrow that down to the recent elections in Korea? How is that uh, an example or a mirror of that trend? Well, right now, the Senuridang just lost their, their majority in the assembly. I mean, they still have the presidency for one year, more year. Uh, but, yeah, so it kind of separated into... A multi-party. Nobody mm-hmm. has a majority, actually. Yeah, Nobody so it's no longer a slam dunk when the same right. nobody wants to push something through. They, yeah, they've got to haggle and compromise. Yeah, so we definitely want to. When we get to that, you know, the next level question, we have to figure out what political circumstances and strategies will change when a two-party political system moves into a multi-party system. Hmm. And of course, how does that affect it all? What What does that mean for the future of Korea? Which I think is the the real exciting part is at the end is the changes that we're going to see. And I think they're changes for the better, for the most part. Obviously, pluses and minuses when you're doing a two-party system versus a one-party system versus a multi-party system. But it's really interesting how uh, the future of Korea might change. These are all excellent questions to ask. How do we get started? The same way we always start. (laughs) Let's get into the thought experiment. And for today's thought experiment, we're going to kind of step back from the complicated world of politics and think about a part of our life that we all know quite a lot about. This is the politics of choosing what to eat for dinner. Hmm. You've got a group of five friends, all with different appetites. Pizza. You want pizza. There's something greasy. How do you, as a group, decide where you want to go? If your number one choice is disliked by other people, you may have to settle for your favorite dish among the other four. Regardless, no fish. Definitely gross. Fish after a late night out on the town just doesn't work. So you start tossing up compromise ideas. Well, if not pizza, how about 
hamburgers. You've got one person on board. You go to another friend. What if we have fish next time, you suggest. You've got a third person on board. And as long as no one is morally opposed to hamburgers, grab the ketchup and mustard. You've just secured your victory. Are these five people aware that there are restaurants where multiple items are served? <laughs> uh, no, they are not. Buffet was off the option. Uh, I couldn't get that much into detail. I really tried to like. I could try to think of like the simplest example to explain how a multi-party system really works. It's you know the series of compromises and negotiations and mm-hmm. work. To, it's all about securing the. Majority. Yeah. And it's all about a little bit of horse trading you had in there. Okay, Mm -hmm. next time we'll do the fish. This time, burgers. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, all right. There's a a very good, handy way to uh, make it real. Yes. (laughs) Make it real. And I I definitely have this problem often. (laughs) So, So we're talking about this now because until recently, Korea's political system has been dominated by two major parties. The Doboro Mindudang, or just the Democratic Party, uh, the Senuridang, uh, the New Frontier Party, they both held pretty much almost all of the seats. There, there's been exceptions. Um, the Jongidang, the Justice Party, uh, held a few. And then there's a new smaller party uh, that was sort of that splintered away called the People's Party, Kungminidang, yeah. which is the uh, party of Ancho Su. At least he's the most well-known name of sure. that one. And this split that happened caused... The Senuridang to lose not only the majority, but they, yeah, also they lost it, but it also gave rise to the People's Party, which gives them a lot of power because mm-hmm. they can now compromise, horse trade, whatever it is, sure. to get to, to get their, whatever they need passed, passed. Mm. So they've siphoned off the conservative voters that would have otherwise given the uh, Senuri Party yeah. a decisive majority in the parliament. Yeah. I. Korean politics is fascinating. I, uh, when I first got to Korea, there were these two main parties, and one was called Uridang and one was called Hanaradang. Oh, <laughs> and they've reinvented yeah. and renamed themselves yeah. uh, so many times I lose track. Yeah, I keep saying, like, oh, you know, two main parties, but these two main parties have gone through all these cosmetic changes, these mm-hmm. mergers. So in general, people think of the two parties, even though there's, like, a line. You have to, like, follow an, a strange line to keep... Okay, well, to remember which one's which in some cases. And it was, it's a good way to learn Korean synonyms, right? Because like, it used to be called Tonghap Minjudang, and now it's called, uh, which means Together Democratic Party. Yeah. And now it's called Tolpuro Minjudang, yeah, which is Together Democratic Party. <laughs> Something like that, yeah, yeah. They've changed the English official names too, but basically, I, I like to keep it simple. Just for now on, we'll refer to that as the Democratic Party or just the Minjudang uh, for now. All right, let's go back to the basics. Give us a little political theory here on uh, various systems. Well, we'll focus on the three main types of systems that that deal with politics. We'll forget about kings for now, but you have the one-party system, the two-party system, and the multi-party system. And we'll focus on how change happens in Mm -hmm. these systems because that's really how we're going to end up with the the different types of change that Korea will probably experience in the next decade or two. Okay. So the one-party system is pretty simple. Can you think of any one-party systems off oh, the top of your head? Oh, I think our, our friends just above the 38th parallel have that kind of um, <laughs> kind of system, don't they? Uh, both of our friends <laughs> above <laughs> that 38th parallel right. uh, are kind of working on that system. You know, this is a, a one-party system. Is basically, it means that all other parties are either outlawed or they're allowed to take only a limited or controlled participation in elections. Sometimes 
we often call it like a de facto one party state because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, other parties are allowed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Hypothetically, you, if you want to live. <laughs> when, when I was a kid, there was a TV commercial that really illustrated the one-party system nicely. Oh. It was a Soviet fashion show, and this woman <laughs> in a gray suit came out, and the announcer goes, is next, day wear, is next, evening wear, and it was the same <laughs> outfit. So, you know, it kind of shows the one-party yeah. variety. Yeah, and for this one, change happens from within. You must join the party to change the system. There you go. And it, you know, obviously at the top is where this change usually happens. You have to get in the party and then work your way up. Just looking at the Communist Party of China is really the simplest way to go about it. If you want to be involved in politics, you have to join. It's like a large fraternity almost. Not much room for disruptors. You have to show your loyalty and then change from within. No no Anchol Su's really yeah. in China or North Korea, right? Yeah. And this focus is on stability. And it's been good for China in many ways. Having uh, stability in your government allows you to maybe focus on the economic growth and not fight for as long a time. You know, making decisions sometimes is better than stalemate in an, in an assembly or Congress. Well said, comrade. <laughs> I thank you for agreeing with everything I just said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then we move on to a two-party. Yeah, the two-party system, again, uh, well... We kind of used to see Korea as this in a way. The United States would be the simplest example since you and I both have much experience talking about it. The two-party system is one that holds a majority of the seats available, and it's pretty much impossible for a third-party candidate or independent to jump into the top position. I mean, we've we've seen people in the United States try to become the president who who are not part of the main parties, but that's just – it just hasn't happened. There are all kinds of parties in the United States, but they can't even – get on the radar screen when it comes to raising the funds. I yeah. mean, the Republicans and the Democrats have more money than God, so... Right, right. Uh, and sometimes we call this a third-party system, in which a third party kind of has influence, but in the end they have to, lead, you know, they, they have to end up supporting with their own votes uh, mm-hmm. one of the other two parties and kind of choosing a side sure. for it to happen. Even if you look at Right now, Bernie Sanders as one of the presidential candidates, he was an independent, but there was no way for him to garner support without either billions of dollars or joining one of the two parties. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so he, Bernie Sanders, joined the Democratic Party in the United States. And there's advantages to this, uh, which it's, like we talked about earlier, there's a little bit more stability. Yeah. So you don't have as much fighting. You have to, some people think you have to find common positions, so it brings people towards the middle. It has drawn Hillary, in the case of the United States, Mm -hmm. way to the left of where she started. Right, right. And there is some sort of – it's simpler to govern in a way, in in certain ways. You're just dealing with one party. Some people think it's less fractitious. There's more harmony. It's – it it sounds good now, but another of the disadvantages that we also see it playing out in the states is it can actually lead to less harmony. It could actually be more like a a game where two sides, rather than trying to work together, they just butt heads. Yeah. And they, they fight. Yeah. And so that's something that is a downside of it as well. Now, I think the best way to talk about how change can happen outside from negotiations of the two party is talking about that third party, that third party. So in the U.S. and other countries that have a third party system, change happens not through mergers per se, mm-hmm. but through absorption. Look at the uh, look at music scene. I think music's a great example to talk about here. Pop music is always we consider pop music as pop music. Sure. It doesn't, you know, all of a sudden you don't say, well, pop music is out and hip hop is in. No, then hip hop becomes 
part of the becomes the pop. Yeah. And so EDM did this recently. I think it's interesting to look at EDM, which EDM electronic dance music, electronic dance music. Uh, it's club music. We go to festivals for these. It started getting a lot of popularity. So what happened? Did EDM become pop music? No. But it's sort of infiltrated and exactly. infused. So you see someone like Justin Bieber, whose recent album pretty much, you can see the influence of, of EDM. In fact, he worked with a whole bunch of EDM artists to make that album. So you, they kind of take a popular idea, and rather than letting that idea maybe get popular by itself, they just kind of adapt it. Uh, adopt it and bring it in as their own. And that's how a lot of change happens in the U.S. Are you a believer? Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) Back on topic. Uh, When you have too many cooks in the kitchen, though, too many parties in the parliament, uh, you get a situation a little bit like Italy. You know, if you don't like the Mm. current parliament, just wait a few minutes. You probably have another one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So Italy's actually going to the multi-part system. Italy's an example of kind of the, the bad parts, what can go wrong with a multi-party system. And a lot of, if you're not in favor of, say, the president or the prime minister, or the leader of your country, it can re- lead to a lot of gridlock. You know, countries like, so there's other countries like Israel, or sorry, yeah, Israel, Ireland, Germany, Brazil. There's lots of countries that do the multi-party system. And as long as you don't get that gridlock, which is very possible, mm-hmm. you make change through coalitions, through joining teams, in mm-hmm. a way. And that's where, you know, very practical horse trading, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, kind of happens when you've got several parties kind of forming these ad hoc coalitions. Yeah, yeah, and that's what happened with our um, our famous uh, burger thought experiment today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you formed a dinner coalition. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So um, let's kind of bring this back to Korea. How, yes, how is this, uh, you know, manifesting in Korea? What, what are we seeing? So right now, looking at the numbers, uh, I'm going trying to remember off the top of my head, but I believe it's we now have out of a 300 seat assembly, it's 123 with the Minjudang, mm-hmm. it's 122 with the Senuri Party, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have 38 for An Chosu's new party, okay, um, and then finally the Justice Party has six. So you have to start working together. And this is why it's significant. It's not just a third party anymore. The, if he can muster his party all together, then either one of the two parties plus his party will break the 150 majority needed to get get votes passed. And so that's why this is so exciting. It's not just a few extra independent seats that popped up. Uh, it's not just the Justice Party that popped up with you know less than 10 seats. It's a the Gungminidang. It's a party that now has a lot of power. It's, it has a lot of power in that those 38 votes are necessary. For They're almost kingmakers in the parliament now. You know, everybody's <laughs> kind of you know got to vie for uh, the Gungmini party's support, almost like Cinderella, you know. Uh, and uh, they're the coalition maker. Right, right. And there's a lot of significance in this. The first thing we can talk about is a lot of researchers think that having a multi-party system is great for increasing voter turnout. Mm. And this is a big deal in Korea. In most countries, in that when you have smaller voter turnout, who is left out? Who's the one? Whose fault is it that there's often smaller voter turnout? Who would you say? What what group of people? What demographic? Well, I would say young people. Exactly. And so, whenever you can increase the voter turnout 
as a whole, what ends up happening is you end up closing that gap between, let's say, the older people and younger people. And this is something that's very important to – well, not – it depends on whose side you're on, I guess. But mm-hmm. it's something I believe in general it's just very important to have young people participating in the sure. process and making decisions for the long run. It can – according to some research, having this multi-party system can actually increase voter turnout upwards of between 9 and uh, 12%. And young so, people, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Please continue. Oh, no. no oh, uh, take it away. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I was just going in, to yeah. in, inject there that young people, particularly millennials, are the ones most likely to say, yeah, the, the two existing establishment parties right. just don't get us, man. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're our parents' parties. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, we actually found that those studies – I found those studies in the States. Uh, I wasn't able to find them in Korea, but the U.S. especially has a huge percentage of millennials who don't even see the differences between the two parties. Like, Thirty-one uh, percent don't even know like what's really the difference. Yeah, a couple social issues is usually what they're fighting over. Millennials in the USA are wildly pro Bernie. Yeah, Bernie Sanders is because he is the he was the independent in a mm-hmm. way, and so even though he's running trying to be, get on the Democratic ticket, he was sort of seen as anti-establishment. Same with in a way, Donald Trump on the right is seen as anti-establishment. You and, know. you know, I, I, for different reasons, I guess, but uh, Bernie is sort of like talking about systemic reform, which I think right, a lot right. of people are uh, think is, you know, we, we can't just operate within the system anymore. We have to actually fix the system. Yeah. So this is exciting time. So we're seeing uh, we are seeing a lot of similarities in, in a way between Korea and the U.S. Mm-hmm. So it's good to take a look at you know multiple countries and see how they're both how they're all doing. Mm-hmm. Another big important thing, especially for underrepresented populations, is you actually have more diverse viewpoints represented when you can have a successful multi-party system. We were talking about more foreigners or previous foreigners who became citizens uh, occupying assembly seats, sort of underrepresented groups who maybe are oppressed or even you know think about a naturalized citizen from – Above the 30th parallel. Are we just going to keep referring to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, new, yeah, Setomin or, new, you know, North Korean refugees who have gained South Korean yeah. citizenship by coming here. And so when we have the new party that has 38 seats, you know, they're coming in and they now seem like a legitimate contender. You're going to start seeing areas where there are three or four contenders for one assembly seat. And now if you're let's say you were a 30% only 30% of people in an area wanted a foreigner or an ex foreigner now korean to be in the assembly now you only need 30% of the vote if you're splitting the vote evenly mm-hmm. so in a way having multiple viable candidates allows for these underrepresented groups to possibly get more people into the assembly. Hmm. How far do you figure it's going to go? I mean, is uh, is there more fracturing ahead for uh, Korean parties, or have they fractured to the extent necessary to satisfy? <laughs> There's uh, one of the reasons that they that the main ruling party lost is dissatisfaction in. Just obviously the top party, but another reason is there's a lot of infighting, and so that's not. It didn't happen because of the election, but it was a lot of it was revealed through this election. And there's a lot of people talking now that um, the top two parties are sort of more fractured than we previously thought. Hmm. So uh, it can possibly mean that just more people are going to go to the third party, or it might mean that there's going to be more and more independents and fourth, fifth parties that are coming up. I would say, if I were to take a guess on it, there's going to be 
a little bit more of a balancing. We're not going to see 38 parties for the third party, or sorry, 38 assembly seats for the third party. We're going to see maybe 40, 50 in the upcoming. But it is, it's a little bit hard to say. You know what's fascinating to me is that this past election last week or so was basically a pocketbook uh, election. People voted their wallet, you know, and they voted on real economic issues, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, unemployment and so yeah. on in the economy. And then what happens when the change comes about are all these knock-on effects in foreign policy, particularly towards North Korea, right? Yeah. Uh, and now we're going to probably see a, a much more left-leaning uh, foreign policy towards North Korea. You know, maybe, who knows? Yeah. Uh, Hong might reopen. Maybe, or yeah. Maybe there'll be a, a start yeah. of sort of sunshiny engagement type things. Yeah. The, right now, the president in Korea, it will... Not right now. You, the way that the system is set up, the president of Korea still has a lot of power when it comes to foreign policy, mm-hmm. military, sure. of those issues. But we're looking – another significance of this is we're kind of looking at a lame duck presidency right now because there's a one-year gap until the next president is elected. It's, it's the you – know, the president has five-year terms and the assembly people have four. And in this particular case, there's a one-year gap. So, yeah, her, her power is going to be very limited which makes the next one, the next election, even more significant, knowing that there's going to be three years of all of them together. Uh, like I said, it's exciting. It's like watching a real-life drama. And this win for the Anjol Sioux Party, doesn't that kind of put him in track to maybe run for president successfully? Yes. I, <laughs> I don't know if I want to, like, jump the gun on that and make yeah, too much of a prediction. But, but at least gives him more credibility than he had prior to this parliamentary election. Basically, yeah. It's kind of in the same way that Bernie Sanders getting credibility by seeing poll numbers rise up. All of a sudden, his victory here and seeing their poll numbers rise up gives him a little bit of credibility and makes next presidential election also exciting. And if people want to hear more nerdiness from you, they can follow you at Korea Nerd on Twitter, correct? Yeah, uh, the Korea Nerd on tw- Twitter or just koreanerd.com. Okay, Alex Sigrist with Rock Scholar. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. And our show is produced by Christina So with associate production by Jamie Lee, writing by GP1. I'm Kurt Asian. Make sure to tune in tomorrow. We have a special edition of People in Seoul with pianist and actor Shin Ji Ho, uh, Ho ahead of his Sweet Spring Piano Concert this week. We'll see you then.